His goal, to destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebette Live. Call 0800 Today FM. Yo everybody, what's up? It is Rebecca Hollis, Morena Morena. Actually, it's just past 12 o'clock, 12.03 in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And I would be saying 5 o'clock in San Francisco, but I'm not there. I'm on home soil here in Aotearoa, and it feels great. I hope your day is going good, wherever you're at. Um, the show of Rebecca Light is pretty simple. We like to talk about commerce and business and community and culture and all good things good. Because I have a belief, and the belief is that New Zealand wins when New Zealanders win. And when you've got the opportunity to talk to great New Zealanders, you can learn stuff, share it along, pass it to others, and that is good. Coming up on the show today, Sarah Kelsey from the One Up Project is going to be joining us in the studio. If you're excited about that, she says she, she will be sharing some useful information on financial literacy and self-development. Uh, the CEO of Nipple New Zealand, Jenny Wiley, will be also joining us for Learn, Share, Repeat. You know, what's she listening to? What's she reading? Where's she learning? Uh, we've got Tadeo Time, Young Bucks, and much, much more. Question of the day for wherever you're at right now. Over the last week, I've been dabbling around all over the show, catching up with very smart humans. And the question of the day is this. If the government gave you $1 billion right now at 12.04pm on Saturday uh, to specifically help grow New Zealand business, to build back better after COVID, build back braver, build back better, how would you spend that $1 billion specifically? Don't just say, oh, cut the taxes, or, oh, just give it, whatever. Specifically, $1 billion to build New Zealand back better after COVID through business, how would you specifically spend that? Where, what would you, um, where would you allocate where? Text me through to 3920. Text me your answer. I get a little fancy technology machine up here which says, hey, this is what Bob from Tamuka says, and then I can read it out on, on radio. Uh, so text me through 3920, and let's get into the show. Alrighty, my first guest this afternoon hosts her own podcast, The One Up Project, which is all about guiding people through financial literacy and self-development. I was very fortunate enough to go on the show uh, last year, which was great, and uh, Sarah Kelsey believes that everyone should have the freedom to make choices in their own life, and that basic, basic skills such as money and finance shouldn't be a drag, even though sometimes, you know, it feels like that. So, Sarah, kia ora, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I feel honoured to be here, to be honest. There you go. Uh, how's the weekend going? How's it all flowing? Good, good. I'm using this weekend to just recharge and catch up on everything I have missed out on through the week, so <laughs> it should be good. Uh, day of admin on Saturday, A-OK. Yes, yes. Um, Tell me a little bit about the One Up Project and the passion that you have around financial literacy and self-development because I think it's something that yeah. not many people really want engage with too much and I think it's mm -hmm. awesome to see passion about things that really matter. Mm, I totally agree. So for me, I have a huge passion for giving people or people having the freedom to make decisions in their life. So I've chosen to try and do that through financial literacy at the moment, through having the podcast. And I think that financial literacy is a really common topic that is misunderstood and that people find really difficult and don't know how to approach it and so I'm 23 years old I also know nothing about money and I really wanted to publicize that journey and kind of create a really safe place for people to feel like you can ask dumb questions and it's okay not to understand it's okay not to know and I'll be the first one to 
kind of have that vulnerability so that you can feel empowered to do that for yourself as well. But I also see, you know, financial literacy not as just a money thing, but within an entire ecosystem of personal development and personal growth. And so I try to bring that into the podcast as well by, you know, trying to understand more about who we are as people, what we care about and what we value, because that's going to influence how we spend our money, how much money we want to have and what money means as a resource for us in our lives. So yeah, it's a big ecosystem of things and mostly bring on other guests who have had a whole lot more experience than I have and and share those perspectives with other people. And like you talk about taking little golden nuggets and breadcrumbs Mm. from everyone and everyone's different perspective to build your own life into what you want it to be. So you bring up a a word that you said, asking the dumb questions. Mm. And a lot of time people feel they have insecurities to ask the question it's not a dumb question if mm. they don't know the answer, So they, but they feel this fear. So yes. why do you think Kiwis are so fearful to, I guess, ask the dumb question or fearful of talking about money and fearful of talking about financial literacy? I think vulnerability is within that so much. People are scared to be vulnerable. And I think it's commonly said, you know, within New Zealand, there is this culture that we want to act tough, especially within men. It's that you want to be tough and strong and not say anything. And Really? And no, I didn't notice. <laughs> didn't, didn't notice. Didn't no, 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 I didn't. <laughs> and so that vulnerability or that fear of vulnerability comes into talking about money too. And, and especially... Um, yeah, with women as well, we feel like we can't speak about different things or be in control of, of money because we don't know best. And there, there are lots of stats to show that women are less financially literate than men overall. And, and I think that it comes to, down to people being worried about exposing themselves, exposing what they don't know. Um, and then, yeah, it makes them feel a lot like they, they're exactly they're going to be exposed. So I think people just... It's it's a big ecosystem of things, not just not understanding money, but also being able to understand who you are as a person and how your fear of vulnerability comes into you not wanting to talk about money um, and your mindset around it. It's generational as well, how you've been brought up to talk about it. I mean, I've been brought up to not share political opinions, um, salaries, you know, things like that with other people. And so trying to unwind that kind of thinking and understand why is that, like asking Mm. why a lot is a big part of that. But ultimately, to answer your question, I think that being vulnerable is scary for everyone and and that just bleeds into talking about money as well. It's when you think about the vulnerability side of things, when they don't have enough bravery to be vulnerable to ask a question they don't know, it leads them into this wall of, not getting continually not getting educated to continually not knowing more and it just blocks any opportunity for the future which leads mm. them down the path of potentially bad business deals or higher transactions or not looking at the market mm-hmm. whatever else as well and one of the things um i've noticed with a lot of people who are really good with money is how open they are to talk about things and learnings and way they structuring bits yeah. and pieces and i've never uh you know go through different pockets in life and it's quite um it can be intimidating to listen to when you almost don't ha- understand half the things they're talking about. Like just pre- recently in the States, I got my green card. I have to set up an S corporation, which is a thing to yes, do this deal. jargon. And jargon, all these like words and, they, and I don't know. And I'm asking people, hey, like, you know, what do you do? Yeah. When it comes to practical steps that Kiwis can do to, if they are feeling insecure about either asking about money or, or, or stuff, where do you like to usually take them to? Or how do you, how do you start trying to change the mindset a little bit to be a bit more, I guess, positive to think about money or a bit less vulnerable? Yeah, I guess it starts with with 
when I'm talking to people in an episode, I guess that's the easiest way to explain it, is how do I try and take a guest who is extremely knowledgeable at something like the share market and get them to explain it in a way that makes sense to someone who has no understanding of what a share is or how that stuff even works. And it starts with just asking the bare minimum and approaching every single conversation as if everyone knows nothing about that Mm. topic. And so when it comes to talking to people, it'll be like, okay, well, we're starting with investing how do we invest let's start with what is a share like okay yeah, that's yeah, a yeah, portion yeah. of a company that you're buying into what does that mean and starting with just the bare minimum bare basics is i think a really important part uh, is just having that assumption that no one knows anything at any time um and i think it's funny like the more i i go to different events or things with people who are you know, you feel intimidated because they're people who know all these things about everything. But then you get into the conversation and you start opening up about how you don't understand something. And they're like, oh, yeah, me too, when you expected that they would know everything about it. And so the more, I guess, I go to things and meet people, it's like, oh, actually, we're all in the same boat. And so I think being the first one to have that vulnerability is always going to encourage other people mm. to open up and, and have less fear about it as well. Uh, and so that's what I try to do as much as I can on the podcast is, be open about my journey and what I'm going through so that someone else, they don't have to be the same as me and start a podcast and shout to the rooftops what their salary is and I know everything about money, but just even opening the conversation with your friend or your partner or your family and saying, like, I listened to this random girl talk about this thing. Like, what do you think about that? And then that's where it starts and then it just builds and snowballs from there. So on episode one, you know, you're documenting your journey of understanding money and understanding how things work. Yeah. From episode one to now... What's been the biggest insight or overarching theme which you mm. didn't see before? Mm. Does it have to be financial? No, related? no, no, anything. Yeah, so it's interesting because for me the bigger picture is, is understanding yourself and what you care about and how you can use money as a resource within that. And so there's a huge theme. There's two main themes that have come through with almost everyone I've spoken to about whether it's money, personal development, their career journey, their business journey, and those two things. And this is talking to an audience who are mainly between 25 and 35 and, and the kind of in the part of their life when they're trying to decide who I want to be and what I want to do and what impact do I want to leave and things like that and the two most common things they always say are one take risks and two be curious and so I've tried to apply those two things to almost everything I've done since the start of the podcast and I have to say like the two years and that I've done the podcast have been the most transformative years of my life I feel my learning curve has just been almost vertical because I've managed to if something comes up and it's an opportunity, but it's a risk, I'm like, I just have to take it because these people see I need to take risks. And so blindly trusting the perspectives and experience of someone who's lived that life already, or, or so I think has lived that life already, has helped me to learn more about myself quicker. And, and then also being curious. It's not just about being curious about different topics, but different people as well. I listened to a podcast the other day and they said you know, you should always try to replace judgment with curiosity. Like any time you see something and you are thinking, "Mm, that's a bit strange or that's outside of my worldview or my perspective, just replace that kind of, that's strange with why is that? And asking 
constantly asking why is another theme that I've done all throughout this podcast, whether it is about money, whether it is about personal development, why is that the way it is? And then that gives you more context, but also helps you understand what you do and don't agree with. Because mm. I don't necessarily agree with everything every person on my podcast says. Definitely not. But there's always something you can take from those people as well. And it's really important to see the value within that. How much uh, crossover do you see between the personal development challenges people have versus financial development or financial literacy so much yeah interesting go there why, why is that yeah i think i think that like i was saying before you know there's the vulnerability and talking about your finances but it's all development like it's all a learning journey whether you're learning about yourself or learning about money it's a new thing that's scary to you and often through learning about money you are learning about yourself like you're learning okay i need to know my life stage i need to know my goals why do i have that goal okay i want to save for a house why do I want to save for a house? Oh, that's because society tells me I have to. Actually, do I want that? Maybe mm. not. Why do I feel that I want that? Okay, let's explore that a little bit more. And you start to understand what your values are. And then you realize, actually, maybe my goal's over here. And then you're just aligning yourself so much more to the type of person you want to be and the type of life you want to live, which is exactly the purpose of me doing all of this, is that I want to give people that space. When I say freedom, it's not financial freedom it's like freedom within their mind space within their life to align themselves to make decisions that uh, align them with the life they want to live uh, so there's so many parallels between the two and I think that a journey to understand your finances is also a journey to understand yourself as well well it directly affects it when the, if the bottom line zero it makes life a little bit trickier totally a uh, better thing on the, the fear for a second when people are um fearful of that but then they go curiosity it's a different path yeah. you're saying curiosity they go why and then why and then yeah. why and then end up in some type of personal development piece how do you um if someone's listening right now and they maybe don't understand too much but they want to get more curious how do you switch the mindset from fear into curiosity mm. <laughs> i know big big loaded question sarah but it know, is and how- it's something i've been pondering as well because with the podcast it's interesting Sometimes I get caught up in this world of I'm like, oh, so many people are interested in developing themselves. And then I'm like, no, no, that's just my community. There's another community outside of this, the friends and the family of the people who listen to the podcast that are like, I'm not interested in that. Like, how am I supposed to get interested in that? I guess the podcast that I host makes it somewhat easier because it's coming from the perspective of someone who's going through it. So there really is no judgment in that sense because... I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm just trying to learn with you. But beyond that, how do you get people actually interested and actually curious? I think it's a question I haven't fully worked out yet, but I think it definitely starts with someone being open first and saying that it's okay to feel the way that you feel and let's let's try and work it out. Um, but making it relevant to someone's life is just 100% key because no one's going to care about anything unless it actually matters to them in their life. So how do you make something like money directly relevant to everyone just beyond the fact that we need it to live day to day? How do you actually make wanting to grow wealth long term an important factor to someone and a motivating factor to someone rather than a debilitating factor to someone mm. uh, and working out how to bring that accessibility to information is at the core of, of what I'm trying to achieve, I suppose. Well, it's that thing of going from defence to offence in mm. terms of fear into curiosity into correction. Mm. Uh, if people want to check out the podcast, where can they get it? What can they do? Yeah, so if you want to listen, you can search up One Up Project on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or um, I'm on Instagram as well. On the gram. There you go. Always. Really appreciate your time, Sarah. Thanks for coming in and giving us some 101 with it. It's super cool and it's awesome to be able to see the journey that you're going through. And as you look back and listen to these 
episodes over the time, you'll see where your head's exactly. basically wide, which I'm sure is pretty interesting too. Definitely. Thanks so much, Rivia. Really appreciate you. You're incredible. Oh, no, thanks, Sarah. Oh, just like that, Bryn, we'll bring her on anytime. Easy, right? Uh, don't forget, you can text me through on 3920. The question for today is, if the government gave you $1 billion right now at 12.18 on a Saturday here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, how would you spend that to make New Zealand business better, braver and bolder for the future? After the break, we catch up with this week's Young Buck on Today FM. His goal, to destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebet Live. Call 0800 Today FM. Welcome back to Rebet Live on Today FM. I would say live from San Francisco, but no, I'm in New Zealand. It is awesome. Uh, you can find your local frequency at todayfm.co.nz. Or you can take us on the go. There's an app. Rover app, download it away and you're off. Uh, question for the day, if you had a billion dollars given to you by the government, how would you spend it specifically? Don't just say, you know, long Bitcoin and see you later and off to the moon. Nope, I need some specifics. I'm interested for some more ideas. Um, part of the show... I'm really interested about the future of leadership in New Zealand, especially in the future of business, young leaders. And so right now is the time for our weekly section, which we call Young Bucks, which is where we profile a young up-and-coming uh, individual, amazing Kiwi in business. And today I'm very excited to be joined by Emma Bartram from Bliss, from Waikato Dao. Kia ora, Emma. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? Hey, okay. How is the Saturday bubbling? What's going on down in the Tron? Some ducks flying oh. around. What's happening? It's quite cold in the Tron today, yeah, a bit chilly. <laughs> there you go. So um, how old are you? And tell us a little bit about Bliss. Let's get into it. Um, I'm 18 years old, and so our business, it's me, and I have two other girls in Bliss, so Tessa Smart and Beth Steele, and Bliss is like a, um, like a mix where you make your own Bliss balls. You add, like, minimal wet ingredients to as a customer and then roll them into balls, and, yeah. How, so awesome. break this break this down for me. How does this how does this work? Um, so the customer can place an order on our website, and then we'll send them off a bag. And in the bag, you just have to tip it into a bowl and add wet ingredients, which it says on the back of the packet, and mix it up and yeah, roll into balls. Just like that. How did you come up with the idea, or, or what's the you know? Is this I'm, I'm imagining at 18 years old living in the Toronto? Is this your first business, or were you like are you serial entrepreneurial? And this is like your fourth thing out. You've done the lemonade stand. You've done the little roll up of, of newspaper routes. Like what's the where are you at? Um, I've done a lemonade stand before, but like this is the first big business. <laughs> but yeah, we wanted to create bliss to be like different from the bliss balls that you can buy from the supermarket that are pre-made. We wanted to give, you know, people a time to have their chance away from their busy lifestyles and just take time for them to do something that, you know, will be good for their um, like bodies and mind. So how do you, how do you price it? How do you sell it? And what's, I guess the, um, what's the technical back end of the business that's making this thing fly? Um, well, we're doing it under yes, so young enterprise scheme, and um, so throughout the year we've got different challenges that we have to, you know, compete in, and that kind of helps us run the business. So we learn about all the financial stuff behind the business, how to market the product, and all the good stuff like that. So yeah, yes has been really helpful that way. What has been the biggest thing you've learned about marketing to selling product when you don't have a massive marketing budget like some of these other big big businesses and brands that are in the ecosystem? Um, like going out and talking to people. 
Um, especially like the little local businesses have been really helpful and, you know, giving us advice and also um, different things like that. So, yeah, it's been really good. Where do you want to see the business go to from here? Let's talk about scale and growing this thing. You know, you, you obviously, you've got a bit of a, a, a framework so far. How, what's, the, what's the vision for the business for Bliss in, let's say, the next th- uh, 24 to 36 months? Um, well, we're going to start selling next, um, pre-sales of next week, and we just want to see, have, you know, friends and family in the school community to start with, and then we want to grow bigger into the wider community and maybe little local shops and little cafes. That would be really cool to see. And growing our online market will be awesome too, if that, you know, um, starts bursting too. What's been the most interesting thing you've learned about money? trying to start this business at 18 years old so far? Oh, I don't know. Mm, it goes very quickly. <laughs> when you're starting up a business, I've learned that. Um, yeah. But I guess the finances have been a big side of it, working out how much we need to save before we can go and buy different things or fundraising different options or asking if local businesses are wanting to give us a discount. That's been really important to making sure we're using the money in the best way possible kind of thing. There you go. And uh, if people are wanting to check out uh, online or they're looking to buy it or bits and pieces, where can they go to? What can they do? Um, we've got an Instagram page, which is where we're putting most of our information about our products, which is Bliss Company underscore. But we also have a website, um, which is in the bio. You can find it on Instagram, which is um, blisscompany.mystorybot.com. And you can find out about us and more about the business. But, yeah. Very cool. Well, it's always awesome to see uh, young Kiwis doing good things, starting up companies, learning all the, the trials and tribulations, getting the wins, experiencing the losses and the learnings and going for it. And it's cool to see, you know, you're on a path to do some pretty good stuff. So really appreciate you uh, jumping on the show. Best of luck for the future. And thanks for joining us, Emma. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for having me on here. Very cool. How cool is that? 18 years old. Son, actually, second business. They did the lemonade, lemonade stand. That's definitely awesome. And to number two, uh, from Bliss and uh, Waikato, uh, thanks to the Create Young Enterprise team. Super cool. Uh, I always get motivated listening to younger people. I mean, I'm kind of young, I guess, but also it's relative. Mentally, it's pretty relative. Um, seeing just how much positive they are for the future, which is super awesome. Don't forget, you can text me on 3920 for the question of the day, how would you spend a billion dollars to make New Zealand business better and braver? Coming up after the break, I've got business in a minute. Tip for you to make your business better in 60 seconds before today time with Karepi McDonald. The time now is 12.28 in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I hope your Saturday is flying. Mentor. Sherpa. Counselor. Nah, just a clever guy doing cool shit. It's Rebet Live on Today FM. There we have it. You're tuned in to Rebet Live, episode 313 on Today FM. Thanks for joining me this beautiful day. You can ring me through 0800 Today FM or text me on 3920 with the question of the day, which was. If the government gave you a billion dollars, how would you make New Zealand business better? Specifically, how would you spend it? It's time for business in a minute. One minute to talk about one little tip to make your business better. Today's tip, be seen. Brand and marketing. Half the battle of this thing is getting notice. We're in a flooded ecosystem. Go through your streams, you're getting hit by visuals everywhere. Brands, loco, logos, influencers, promo codes, flashing screens, everything. A million things wants your attention, you only have one set of eyeballs. 
Question to think about when within your ecosystem, how is your brand currently getting attention? Where is your brand seen? How are you creating talkability about your brand? If you don't have big marketing dollars, like, you know, these, these big trillion dollar companies that can just blast it everywhere, how do you be creative with ideas to make your business have talkability? What is the ninja move in your industry to get eyeballs? What's a kind of cool, creative little business maneuver which you can do? Not many people think about that thing. They just focus on the products and service and doing their thing great. But if you don't get eyeballs on it, those eyeballs don't get educated to what you do to bring awareness to the product so you can actually then sell to make money for your business. So think about it. Where the eyeballs come from, how you can do more. That's a quick little tip for you and your business, especially when so many great Kiwis have awesome companies, but they don't think about how they're getting more eyeballs to their product. This is an attention game, team. Get the attention. Get that moolah. Time now, 12.32 in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Learning today, one phrase at a time. Rebet's Tereo on Rebet Live. Is this like probably one of the most best tracks ever? Every week when I hear this, it's just it brings back childhood memories. It brings back dude in a white glove doing some doing some moonwalking down the streets, and it brings back Tereo time. Goal of this Kiwaha Tewiki little phrase of the week. And I'm very proud once again to be joined by my, my bro, Karepa McDonald from Culturevo. Kia ora bro, ke te pēhea koe. Yeah, ke te pai ke te pēhea koe. Ke te pai, my friend. I am having a great day. Where are you and what's bubbling and what is our kiwaha o te wiki or phrase of the week? Oh, I'm in I'm in the middle of the bush in society, so I'm on, on the data contacting you, just in case our reception's a bit off. But hoia no ko tō tātou nei kiwaha o te wiki uh, ko te... He raru kitai. So today's phrase of the week is he raru kitai, and it means it's only a small problem. It's not the end of the world. So he raru kitai, you know, those times when we, we think we've done something oh, that's going to end, end our world, life's never going to be the same again. And then you have that wise old nanny or papa who's come to you to say, you're not the first, you're not the last, it's not the last, it's not the um, end of the world. He raru kitai. So there's our phrase for the week, everyone. He raru kitai for it's not the end of the world. Ka pai. Ka my bro. I appreciate you being able to just ring through in the bush somewhere. So that's showing the technology and data that we've got to. But um, heraru kitai. I like it. I, I'm going to have to say that a lot because a lot of times when I'm doing stuff, I think I probably need to say that at the end because, I, you know, I mess up a lot and this, this is a great one to know. So I appreciate, appreciate your time, my and friend. you're not the only one, my bro. We're <laughs> all like that. Oh, okay, then. You fellas have a good week. Hey, uh, my bro, Karepe McDonald. Super cool. Okay. Heraru kitai. It's not the end of the world. I'm definitely going to have to use that because many times when you try things, things don't work. And when you can say, Heraru kitai, there you go. It's not the end of the world. Super cool. That's today's time for this week. If you've got any feedback or suggestions, you can text me on 3920. Time now, 12.35 p.m. Bet live. On today's FM. And it's time for my three cents. My three cents, usually people have two cents, but I've got three. Why? I don't know. I'm trying to add value, do something. Inflation. Maybe that's what I'm trying to I get an extra cent because of inflation. Thanks a lot, Reserve Bank. I'm going to be talking to Paul later. We'll be talking about that. Um, my three cents for this week is 
I thought that I've had about Aotearoa in this last week. I have been fortunate enough to connect through and link up with a bunch of very smart individuals and humans this last week, been going back to back, catching up with a bunch of people I love and know. And I've been thinking about the state of New Zealand, a very macro thing to view, to, to come in on, on on a Saturday. I don't know if you want to go there too emotionally deep on a Saturday, but stuff it. I'll do it. I've been away for two and a half years and I've come back and I've been seeing the tone and the na- nature of uh, New Zealand. And I had a, the way I was thinking about it is it felt like a lot of the conversations was like one degree in the wrong direction. Talent's looking to leave, some money's looking to leave, cost of living's getting higher, uh, potential inflation coming coming through, um, people worried about a bit of a recession, there's talent gaps, there's all sorts of bits and pieces. But I wasn't not so much worried about that. I was worried about this question I've been thinking of. If society's one degree worse off and the good people in the ecosystem who try and have tried and are trying to make things better the question was this what happens to society when the good people stop trying to help you know what happens when at mass you know i see ian taylor puts his hand up and he looks like he pushed to the side rom fife goes to make some moves down mountain looks like he pushed aside mike smith uh, mike king steps up to try and uh, make some moves looks like he pushed to the side all these different things and it's a Dangerous question to ask because what happens is when you've got one, if it's if if society's going one degree down and there's no positive momentum stream behind it, and it starts to go that way and the good people stop trying, that's not a good thing for society. So I'm you know I'm 37 now. I'm looking at as if I was 50. What do I want to be seeing when I look around? When you know I've got a three and four year old daughter. When they're 10, 13 years time when they're coming into the to the real world. Um, the question, the challenge then became this, is my observation was one degree down, how do we bring it back, bring back the balance of the force, and then how do we take it one degree for good? How do we start to think about how do we reset the energy for positivity and momentum in this country through business? And one of the cool things before Sarah was talking about, you know, instead of being on defense, it's going into offense, I think the same thing around business. A lot of, uh, some of the conversations this week is, a lot of energy is going to toxicity and blaming things. Toxicity into blaming people, blaming the government, blaming Jacinda, blaming business, blaming this, blaming that, blah, 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 blah. Like, cool. Feels like you're probably just kind of wasting a bunch of energy that's not giving you positive momentum. So the, the challenge that I've been thinking to myself is going, okay, what opportunity do we have without being reliant on anyone else for us to create energy and positivity for, um, for the new country? I've been thinking about this idea of, um, it's you know, I think business can do it. I'll cut to the point. I think business can do it. When you have strong leaders with big ideas that want to help lots of people do good good things, good ways, business can do it. So I've been thinking about this idea of it's business time. Okay, cool. No waiting. How do we go on offense? Stuff the defense, stuff the reactionary stuff, waiting for someone to get the opportunity. Stuff that noise. How do we go and make it make it positive ourselves? So this next little week, what I'm what I'm interested to be thinking about, and maybe I'll take some of your ideas too. How do we start to change the mindset of a nation to go onto offense? It's a local to global market. Offense. How do we get these businesses to build back better and stronger and braver? Offense. How do we use digital transformation within organizations to create more efficiency to get it popping? Offense. How do we go on offense, not defense? And, you know, I'm flying back to live in um, the States in Silicon Valley, come back here. The perspective shift is huge. So for me, I'm extremely positive around the future of what Aotearoa can be, but I'm also a little bit concerned about if it's a, gr- it's a degree going down for less, and the good people stop trying, what message does that send and what, um, how does that actually play on the ecosystem? And that is not A-OK. So anyway, that's my two cents, three cents for the week. Uh, talking about one degree down and how to build it back.
positive and braver for a better New Zealand. Uh, any feedback? Love to hear your thoughts. You can text me on 3920 and say, Rebet, you're tripping, mate. We're sweet ass, Bolt. Don't even worry about it. Inflation's not a thing. We're sweet. Or maybe you've got some other thoughts to, to help us go from offence uh, instead of defence. Uh, you can call through on 0800 Today FM. After the break, it is a learn, share, repeat. This is Rebet Live on Today FM, episode 313. I love it. And streaming live on Rover. It's 12.40pm. See you in a sec. Mentor. Sherpa. Counselor. Nah, just a clever guy doing cool shit. It's Rebet Live. On Today FM. There we have it. 12.41. I love having my own show where I can choose whatever music I like and I can just put on roll, no role model, bangers from J. Cole. Instrumental though, because he's not talking about the things that you probably can't play on here, but... For those who know, they know. Welcome back to Rebet Live on Today FM. We're live in Auckland. I love being here. It is great. Uh, you can find um, out more about uh, where you can see us online at todayfm.co.nz. Follow us on all the socials, Facebook and the Insta and the Twitter and the TikToks and the TikToks for the young bucks. Uh, search Today FM New Zealand. If you want to get in touch with me this afternoon, phone in 0800 Today FM or text me, troll me and say, kia ora bro, uh, 3920. Moving ahead to Learn, Share, Repeat. The point of Learn, Share, Repeat is where we talk to someone about what are they learning, what are they listening, where are they doing, and it's a little mantra that I have. I wear a little, I wear a little bracelet on my wrist that talks about this. And it's um, when you've got access to great, smart people, where do they learn from? And if I can learn from them, that's going to be good. So we are joined now by the CEO of Netball New Zealand and good friend, Jenny Wiley. Kia ora, Jenny. How are you? Kia ora. I'm well, thank you. Rolling. How is the Saturday <laughs> cruising for you? What's bubbling? Oh, just um, knocking around with the kids and uh, catching up on their week and looking forward to a big weekend of sport myself. So that's uh, the general, uh, the norm at the moment. There you go. All right, so learn, share, repeat. Jenny, you've got your fingers plugged into lots of pies. Um, you know, pies, you're helping run Minuteball New Zealand. You're doing lots of bits and pieces. Right now, what are you listening to or reading or what's at the top of mind in terms of how you're learning best right now in 2022? Well, uh, a couple of things, um, and I think sport has got some real parallels with business and what's going on in, in New Zealand and our communities at the moment. Um, and reading, a, there's been a great book that's been out for a while, but it's called Belonging, and it's from um, written by a Kiwi guy, Owen Eastwood, and it's this, it's all about the ancient art of togetherness, and I think it's kind of quite relevant at the moment because we all want to belong to something, a um, bit of a higher purpose, um, making a difference. And um, we have that universal sense. It's one thing we all have in common is wanting to belong to something. So, yeah, that's what I've been reading recently, and um, it's really resonating with a lot of stuff that's going on at the moment. Um, yeah, great read, and it's a Kiwi. So go there for a second. The ancient art of togetherness, is that more like tribal yeah. DNA, like just plugs back into like the human need for connection with each other or is this more of a business context Correct. like that's yeah so go there for a second Not, interested look it's it, it's both right so if you go to back to you know even in new zealand what's unique about us is our whakapapa and our ancient roots of of where new zealand originates and everything that we stand for whether you're you um have arrived in new zealand at some point you will be ingrained in kind of a sense of who we are down at our end of the world. 
But I think all humans have the sense to belong, right? Ultimately, we want to belong to a community, a team, a business that's successful. And it's about how do you take all of those kind of innate um, things that you want to be and, and that you need in life, like um, friendship and connectedness, and use it to build high-performing teams. Mm. Um and Owen talks about this, and he worked with Gareth Southgate and the English football team to take them from a team of stars to a proper team that could perform collectively on the world stage. So, yeah, I think it translates to any anything that you do in life, you know. You want to – everyone has this desire to be together, and I think that's what we've missed over the last two or three years with COVID and stuff is not being able to do that. Um, and it's how do you – get back to that genesis and, and rebuild it. So yeah. through COVID, technology enabled teams to exist, but it was tough to scale culture through through digital without being physically there. This this belonging that you talked about of the teams getting back together, it almost comes into questions around leadership, right? When these companies are getting back together, the people are getting back in the room, they're looking to reconnect, you know, realign and sort of get back through. Within the ecosystem, when you look at the leadership side of things, what are some of the key things you think new, like leaders in New Zealand businesses now need to be really trying to focus in on over this next, to, from now to the rest of the year as we sort of open back up and kind of reconnect together again? Yeah, look, a really valid point because I think um, if you had a strong culture going into COVID, you could ride some of the waves of what it did to people both professionally and personally and what we saw um, in our our New Zealand environment, we could ride that because the energy was there. Over time, that had to be a work on because we're all riding a different roller coaster at different times. And now that we're kind of coming into a new, different phase of what COVID has meant for us, um, we have to re-energise those cultural links because we've kind of used a fair bit of what was in the tank um, and what I'm hearing from people is that need to connect remains really important but people are tired so we, we have to keep uh, and find the mechanism that's going to rebuild that energy and rebuild the zap to, to want to get together to problem solve because what we do know is anywhere a high degree of success is never an accident it has to be an engineered push to um, problem solve, mm. do it collectively and collaboratively. Um, it ain't just going to happen, you know, and uh, how do we give back those best minds the ability to have that flex and, and to push forward in this in this phase where everyone's pretty tired? Mm. You brought up a point there of this, you know, this opportunity to rekindle. It's like... Is it like a long-term yeah. marriage and they've slowly just gotten to the routine? They need to spark it back up again and go to Vegas for the weekend and get some kick into their step. <laughs> um, if you're a leader of business right now, how do you? what are some practical ways you think they could look to, I guess, rekindle the fire of their culture and their businesses? Yeah, you know what I think and what gives me energy is small, agile stuff, right? So little things that go, oh, that's pretty cool. Let's try that. And I think if you think too much, too further down the track, I think that's important to have a vision, 
but just do some stuff in the meantime that is going to give you either success or some learnings because um, looking too far ahead at the moment is a little bit daunting for people. It's really hard to eat the elephant, um, but you, if you do it one piece at a time with little projects that give you that spark or test some stuff that you, you weren't quite brave enough to do because... What we have seen is so many examples of Kiwis that have gone out and done little things that have turned into big things, mm. but they've got to start, just start somewhere. It's it's that thing of, you know, how to build the snowball, and I like this idea of how do you um, create a, mov- a movement out of a moment? You know, COVID's a moment, and now we, how do we build that back to the moment, the, snow, the snowball effect? Because, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've seen a bunch in, in high-performing sports that psychology of success of these small wins builds up to m- more um, positivity, more encouragement, and, and the rest of it too. So there's kind of a crossover there. What do you think the, you know, you've seen high-performing sports, you've seen big business stuff. What do you think the biggest insight that high-performing athletes or teams could transfer into high-performing business teams? Is there an overarching thread that you've seen that that others may not know about? Well, I think it's probably things that when you reflect on them are quite obvious. Um, You've got to have a shared vision, Mm. but not just something plastered on a wall. It's got to be ingrained in your language. So I have a story, you know, I was a pretty new CEO, came into my role, um, Silver Ferns were performing the way they always had. Yeah, that's all cool. Went into a strategy meeting or a team meeting and I walked out going, oh, shit, man, I'm confused. I do not know what the vision is. Mm. And I couldn't hear it in the language that the team was speaking and it felt really disjointed. We went on two or three months later after, you know, asking all the, the right board questions, et cetera, et cetera, went on and we had our worst result ever at a pinnacle event and I was at a loss I was just like but it didn't feel right so what's the lesson if the vision isn't there and it's not coherent if people aren't bought into the vision they're paying it lip service and if it's not embedded and you've got to be um, safe to fail and in a high performance environment when your selection as such is predicated on not failing it's really hard to be vulnerable. But if you are, magic happens. So mm. fast forward 12 months later and lining up all those things and learnings and, and I wasn't uh, I wasn't quite as green, I was a little bit um, more experienced and we had the right personnel because high-performing people can't, but they need high performers around them. They don't have to have all the answers themselves. Mm. And that same team... Not too dissimilar in terms of personnel. Top two inches went out there, smashed the World Cup. So I think there is the textbook of vision and purpose and all that kind of thing. And then there's the reality of living it. And I think it is so transferable to business because if you've got people who are there just because they're there, then they're taking a seat that can be, uh, you're better to invest in someone that's there for the right reason. Mm. So I kind of got out of that, there's a shared vision. There's kind of unified yep. language, and then there's the same waka of yep. everyone going the, the same direction, and, and then it's almost that like macro North Star alignment for everyone within it, right? Yep, and if you're vulnerable and you say, look, Rebecca, hey, kind of don't know how to deal with this, 
it's amazing who mm. comes out of the woodwork and becomes part of your circle of trust. Because actually, inherently, I, you know, I know it's uh, these tall poppy, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're in the right place, you want others to succeed because yep. that means you succeed. So, yeah, so it, it is a bit of a Cinderella story. Um, and it doesn't mean that we're going to be able to repeat the same thing. But it it shows you that like, if you actually line up authentically, um, amazing things can happen. And then it's as well just going straight to the fact of there's when you get great leaders who can show that vulnerability or they can ask the questions and to try and really empower the team, that does it awesome too. So so the book was Belonging by Owen Eastwood, The Ancient yep. Art of Togetherness. Owen Eastwood, yep. yep. Belonging, The Ancient Art of Togetherness. And he's a Kiwi. We should get him on the show. Yeah, you should. <laughs> you should, Absolutely. Awesome. Hey, I really appreciate it, Jenny. Thanks so much. Good luck for the rest of sport for the rest of the day and keep smashing it with the, uh, the CEO of Netball New Zealand for all that you do to make, you know, everything you do even better. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Love your work. All right. Uh, good banter. Talking about that. Belonging. Owen Eastwood. Ancient art of togetherness. Leadership. It's funny how these things morph out of sport into business. There's definitely a whole bunch that you can learn coming from high performance into sport and hopefully you've got some good insights there uh, with Jenny. Extremely smart. Very cool. Coming up after the break, it is Ask Rebet. You can text me any question you'd like, uh, and I can try and answer it. As we always say, uh, may not be right, but I'll give it a crack. And uh, I can happily document, just like Sarah, I can happily document the journey if I'm definitely not. But interested, uh, text me any question you'd like to know. Ask Rebet. You can have a banter. Uh, text through to 3920 or call in on 0800 Today FM. The time now is 12.54, almost coming up to the end of our number one Rebet Live episode 313 on Today FM. Rebet Live. Live from Silicon Valley. The hub of the tech universe. With tips on unleashing your entrepreneurial potential. On Today FM. And now. Ask Rebet. We've got to start with some fake news, team. They said I'm in Silicon Valley. That was last week. That's so last. That's that's next. We're, we're here in Aotearoa, and it is awesome. Live on uh, Rebet Live, episode 313, Today FM, live from Auckland. Uh, you can find your local frequency at todayfm.co.nz or take us with you on the go with the old cellular phone, which may be in your pocket, left or right. Download the free Rover app from the smartphone's app store. Text me, troll me, say what up, say kia ora, say wherever you're at. Question for today is, if the government gave you $1 billion right now, what would you do specifically to build New Zealand business better? How would you spend and allocate that capital? Time for Ask Rebet. All right. Questions through. First one through from Steve from Waikanae. As someone that's been active on social media since around 2006. Oh, geez, that's that's early. What are we talking about there? Is that like Bebo and MySpace? We're, we're going early. That's pre-Facebook. Um, I've always kept my accounts as personal as I'm starting to experiment with using local uh, social media accounts to promote uh, to promote my work professionally would you recommend starting a new social accounts or trying to leverage the existing audience on Twitter and Facebook cheers ah good question a lot of people uh, navigate this especially when they are a sole trader entrepreneur they've got a little business or startup Um, the advice would be this have a line in the sand of what's private and what is public you may have a private Facebook page for you and your friends and, you know, Nana, Nana Betsy that wants to come through and check the photos of all that. Um, 
But the reality is, you need to pick it how you're going to do it. The way I do it would be this. I would keep LinkedIn and Twitter for business if you're going to be doing like stuff like that, or have the page and then keep it separate. But don't, uh, I would not try and cross it across because what happens is the last thing all your mates want to do is just see you there spamming them, talking about your promo codes and your swipe ups and whatever else as well, uh, unless you already know that you're going to be sharing it with public. Giddy up. It's news time, one o'clock. Sherpa, counsellor. Nah, just a clever guy doing cool shit. It's Rebet Live. On Today FM. Let's go, let's go. Hour number two. 1.03pm in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I would be saying 6.03, but I'm not in San Francisco. Stuff that. I'm on the homeland, son. Uh, Rebet Live episode 313. If you want to find out where you can check us out, todayfm.co.nz. Follow us on the socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Coming up for hour number two, we're going to be getting straight into it. We're talking travel, we're talking content, and we're talking the, you know, the journey from passion to profit when it comes to navigating the tough world, especially when talking about travel content creation in a world that's been locked down for the last two years. So we're excited to be joined from uh, Dane from Danger and Stacey. Content creators who quit their nine to five jobs, sold up everything, went YOLO, and went off to travel the world creating content. So, uh, awesome to join us, mate. How are you, bro? I'm very well, thank you. I like that intro. I might, might steal that for my own language next there time. You, so, <laughs> that's my elevator pitch. There you go. I um I create words, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I'm glad today it did. Uh, let's start a little bit ago. You sure. had a nine to five. Yeah, You're like stuff this. I'm going to create content. I'm going to commercialize this content, and I'm going to go travel the world. What were you doing before in the nine to five? And what was the moment where you were like, "Let's go, give it a crack." Yeah, I wish it was kind of that straightforward and just <laughs> jump straight into that world. But like any kind of any kind of business, any kind of passion, it was a flow on flow on effect. So to, to jump to to what I was doing, me personally uh, was working in advertising. So uh, publisher side, trade me, uh, Fairfax, APN. Worked my way around a few publishers. Stace is a designer, still does some design on the side. Uh, and then uh, kind of figured there's got to be kind of another life that we want to go live, we want to travel, we want to do a little bit more of that. So we went nomadic. That was the moving point. Like, you know, four-hour work week kind of... Uh, yep, Tim Ferriss, yeah. Yeah, exactly. How do we work online? How do we, uh, you know, make a lifestyle decision? May, maybe make less money, but live a different kind of lifestyle. Uh, that led us to a one-way ticket to Thailand, and like you just said, selling everything except for except for the house. Fortunately, um, what year was this? Oh wow, this was uh, six years ago now, five five or six years ago. So uh, started off with just making a little bit of uh, bit of videos here and there to help people with uh, you know how cheap is it to live in a country like Thailand or pass very, through, grab an cheap. apartment, and yeah, very cheap, fifteen hundred bucks or so uh, for a month for both of us. So uh, that gives you a lot of time. Essentially, how do you get back more time to uh, build, build businesses, build, you know, rather than hustling till 3 a.m. before, which is what we were doing. That old agency chestnut. Uh, yeah, well, so, yeah, well, that was going home and working on our own things after that lifestyle. Got it. So, yeah. but quickly, six years ago to become a digital nomad, that's early. Like, that is yeah. definitely ahead of the game of where a lot of people ended up trying to get to because then everyone sort of flooded into the space. Well, exactly, yeah. So tell me the journey of transitioning from uh, understanding the content world to actually commercializing content when it comes to travel. 
Yeah, so that was uh, that was kind of slow, but I think having that background from working and uh, working with agencies, working for publishers, and so on, sort of knowing that there's there's two sides to every story that you see there. So uh, that definitely helped. So we kind of started off uh, very slow. It was just sort of teaming up with, uh, you know, a, a local tourism operator and you know showing showcasing a zip line, and it was a, a contra deal. It was like we'll, you know we'll showcase something cool. We'll put it online. YouTube, in particular, is our main platform. That's you know that content's going to stay there forever. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to find that in the future. Starting there, and then uh, you start to realize, okay, you can make a little bit of money off social media, um, but not a lot. So you do have to kind of figure out other ways. Uh, and then it's just a case of passion, right? Focus on something that you love, and you know, work on the other side eventually. So that, it, it did develop from there, yeah. So a lot of uh, content creators don't know how to commercialize. Yes. Yeah. Um, the content that you were creating, was it specifically for your own channels or were they getting distribution rights to go on theirs? What was the sort yeah. of way that, that that model in terms of distribution has changed over the last six years? Yeah, the way that it's changed is definitely, it was it was all about us to begin with. It was just kind of on, on our own channels and sort of uh, the way that that has, has changed over the years is... is creating for brands creating mm-hmm. with brands and that's the stuff that we love doing and uh yeah you've like you said the pandemic man that was uh yeah <laughs> that was a game changer for us there <laughs> so, so so let's go there for a second so a lot of the time i i'm interested around watching these influencers do all this travel stuff yeah. and all of a sudden it stopped yeah, yeah yeah how did the world of how did your world change commercially yeah when for two years it's been on lockdown but the job that you do to commercialize is you traveling and creating content yeah it's, it's a bit of a conundrum isn't it so that, yeah it definitely took a bit of a time for us to sit back and look at what 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 can we do what needs to change uh, and we went from living a pretty like around the world lifestyle from one side of the world to the other working with massive tourism boards and in, in europe mostly to coming back to new zealand and uh you know we're a little we're smaller the budgets aren't really there but um you know there's this being this big push the last couple of years small businesses travel locally uh, domestic travel kind of trying to help out you know and we thought mm. look, we haven't seen much of New Zealand um, our audience hasn't seen much of New Zealand either because we've been focusing further afield we've got some connections back in the New Zealand world from the business standpoint so you know we start focusing on the thing that we love which is the travel and, and in between those lockdowns yeah we were doing what we could and we did a couple of massive uh, camper van trips which we kind of uh, pulled together and sort of episodic uh, sort of like reveal New Zealand or reveal NZ is what we called it yeah um, one was 20 episodes the other was a 15 or 16 and we just went for it teamed up with some tourism boards and not much money changing hands but just an amazing time yeah and then that has now led to more so I want to go there for a second you made a strategic content decision to batch load this content because yeah. was were you under the uh were you doing that in case there was a lockdown you'd have enough backlog which you could splice and choose like how did you kind of th- go through yeah. that yeah well that's kind of an ongoing thing for us we're always kind of we just sort of say to we're, we're generally one trip behind you know okay we've kind of we've, we've done a trip so yeah we we kind of stretched out for a while we traveled for six weeks on one of them and we filmed those 20 episodes then we come back and we sit down and then we kind of figure out how do we work those work those through uh, into something that kind of flows and makes sense and then a bit more of a release schedule um, yeah, and then now jump ahead and now it's uh, teaming up more with, with New Zealand brands and actually creating content now that people are actually are aware, like, oh, who are these dudes? Well, they've actually yeah. got a reasonable following. They make decent content. Like, let's do something cool. That's kind of where we're at now, which is, which is amazing. So you went uh, nomadic out to the world. Mm-hmm. COVID happens, you come home. Now you're going hyper-local to sort of drive back New Zealand. For those that listen to this right now, this is all sound probably a bit foreign to be like, wait, 
you put a video on YouTube and this is your job. Yeah. How do you describe the commercial model in its simplest form for people who are listening right now trying to figure out, I want to go to Bali and I want to do some YOLO stuff. How do I do it? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, in the simplest form, um, do something you love. <laughs> Create. Uh, create content, and at a certain point, you can make money, but you're just not going to make much. <laughs> yeah. How is the, how is the journey to make that? So it starts with a bit of contra, yeah, yeah. and then does it work into a little promo code? Does it seem to play? Yeah. Into, like, there's so, there's some of that affiliate kind of stuff, absolutely, and that you kind of have to start there. And to be fair, like I, because of our background, created that model quite early on to kind of help, kind of get us there as views picked up, but. Um, yeah, it does start very slow. I remember the first month getting like five dollars off YouTube, and we were we were high five, and we were like, "This is insane," you know. And then I remember mentioning. So you were hyped. You got five dollars. You were oh, hyped. Man, hyped. Five bucks. Let's but go. Then, but then if you break, I was like, "We are not going to talk about the hourly rate for that because that's just outrageous." Uh, but you know, we're loving it, and we're getting cool experiences. And so you know, keep doing something you love. Give back to the people that are mm. watching, helping them. Um, you know, plan out their own trips, which is rewarding, really mm. rewarding, actually. Uh, and then, you know, eventually we'll we'll use some some business acumen and kind of turn it into into something profitable down the line. How do you think about uh, you as people creating products, but also owning your own platform, and then how to s scale that up? in the bigger ecosystem with content stuff. Like how do you, yeah. I guess, zoom out and tr tr trying to really raise it up when there's, I guess, trying to differentiate from a lot of the rest of the competition, they're doing mm. similar type stuff. Yeah, how do yeah. you think about that? Yeah, it is really challenging. And like say the business side of it is 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 huge because we uh, we do get bogged down in 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 our own, the business element. You know, we're still, we've got, we've got taxes to pay. We've got invoices to settle. We've got all the same books to kind of score as well. Um, and you, you do kind of get bogged down in that and, and you don't want to give up the creative freedom of, as a business, you would say, well, the video editing is taking up the bulk of time. We need somebody to do that. But that's our voice. That's mm. that's our style. That's who we are. So you can't delegate, you can't delegate yeah. those things. And you have to keep control over those things that make you who you are. Um, so, yeah, the scaling is, is really challenging, to be honest. Um, but I think the, the best part of that for us is, like you said, going hyper-local uh, hyper and... Um, teaming up with with brands now, not just create content for those five dollar a month YouTubes, which of course has changed <laughs> since then, but um, it's now uh, helping helping brands with their content, uh, and then now now we're talking about the distribution and you know the commercial licensing and so on that goes that goes with it. So mm. um, it's kind of balancing balancing both. So that your headspace is almost shifted. It sounds like going from a creator doing it for them to almost a mini creative agency that works with them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, you did right. Yeah, it did get. To, it has got to that point where, um, yeah, we're, we're we're making the content that our audience has wants to watch. Like we're helping them with their own travels as well, or it's escapism during the last couple of years. I mean, everybody's needed that, um, and that can't change either. Like we can't yeah. be. We're, we're very conscious of not being a brand. In, in those videos, you know what I mean? But there's other stuff that we do with the likes of Jetstar where it might be a little bit more um, a bit more presented, a bit more kind of like TV orientated in the way that we'd kind of position it back and, and you do you do kind of address an audience a little bit differently or, um, yeah, it kind of varies depending on the project. Well, that escapism is definitely a real thing. I remember yeah. when it was in lockdown and I was in the States, on one day I had a big screen TV in front of me and I was doing a live stream or eight-hour, ten-hour video of a camera just at a beach in really? Bali or Fiji. Yeah. And I was just watching the beach Man. while I was working away to be to just try and mentally take myself to somewhere different just to feel that escapism yeah. stuff. And I, I remember doing that going... Man, this is really a bit a bit sort of messed up. Yeah. Um, before you go, go I want to ask you about um, 
how you prioritize your current outputs and platforms. Mm. So when you're thinking of these things, are you going, okay, I'm going to do these small, instant little 15-second swipe, yeah, swipe yeah, ups, yeah. I'm then going to have a long-form YouTube, and then I'm going to cut those down to photos for Instagram with the URL link. How yeah. are you, what's your current, I guess, content output formula for distribution? Yeah, it is primarily YouTube and Instagram. Stace is, uh, Stace is the photography side of what we do and manages most of our Instagram, so she kind of got her own camera and I've got our main camera for our filming for, for YouTube. Uh, the likes of these short-form TikToks coming in and kind of uh, everything going short-form does create some challenges for us because we're making 10 to 15 minute Your storytelling. immersive videos, yeah. storytelling. I mean, we've still got on a 10 to 15 minute video, we're still getting eight to 12 minutes average watch time. So people are sticking around, but that's, you know, that could get more challenging in the future. Mm. But uh, yeah, the way that we splice it up is primarily for YouTube. Um, then that can be edited down into shorter, more curated Instagram stuff. But yep. we tend to try and keep things a bit more real on uh, Instagram and stories. Um, but yeah, it's, you you, you got to keep adapting, right? Yeah. So who knows? We're not we're not on TikTok, um, and maybe we need to find a way to tap into that market. But then you're back to the time thing again, yep. you know. And that's that's the business side of what we're doing as well. It it it's like a cops and robbers type thing. The same way you know banks try to find the bad guys yeah, when yeah. content creators are trying to figure out where to go. TikTok does a new extension for duration, yeah, but it yeah, goes a bit yeah. bigger, and you're like, okay, what fits in there? Yeah. Instagram changes the thing. So do you kind of feel you're also having to be really proactive fast as soon as these changes come along with how your content lives and breathes? No, actually, I mean, we're definitely agile in a lot of ways, but I would say actually probably the opposite because huh. because there is a lot of shiny new toys in the social world, right? Like Instagram is becoming more like TikTok. TikTok's starting to become more like YouTube or Instagram. It's like nobody quite know. I um, don't know if Snapchat's still floating around. You know what I mean? So mm. you can jump quite quickly and, you know, we're going to focus on this. But if it's not proven, if you don't really know what you're getting into, sometimes I think sticking with what we do and what, is ama- uh, you know, what has worked is great. But the good thing for us, we've got 500 videos. You know, those can be re-edited. Those can be shortened. Those yeah. can be repositioned if we wanted to create. You know what I mean? They're, they're always there. They're always able to be either licensed commercially or... Um, distributed in other ways. So yeah. we're not shooting ourselves in the foot by creating for long form because it's longer. It gives us more to work with. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes less is more. Yep. Yeah, that's true. Um, it's, I really enjoy a conversation like this because so many creators don't think commercially. Mm. They just keep doing the thing and then they bitch about they don't have any money. Yeah, and yeah. then if we look at this conversation, you're obviously, yes, you're passionate about what you do, but you're obviously very good at it, mm. and you've thought about how to commercialise in a smarter way when it comes to the content piece in an ever-evolving digital world, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it became pretty clear, especially with the pandemic, it was like, okay, so we're, we're not getting those massive trips flying all around the world to oh, create poor, content. Poor, poor you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, man, that, I mean, I've seen what you travel a lot from yeah. what I've seen as well. Like, yeah. It is it's exhausting, isn't it? And yeah. then you show up and it's literally, you know, the next day it's like get up, first thing, for, you know, you've got 12 hours worth of filming to do mm. and then you finish that at the end of the day and then you've got to go back to the hotel Everyone else is sleeping or eating. You, I mean, you're straight yeah. into memory cards. And, yep. you know, it's, man, it's, it's, it's intense. But, I mean, we would never trade that. Like, we made the decision. We made that lifestyle decision to work for ourselves, to, you know, do epic stuff. And, mm. um, you know, that's, if that's the compromise, like, yeah, happy with that because it's, it's an amazing world and we're, we're getting to see it. 
you're, you're living the dream, mate. Let's just be honest, right? <laughs> you're living the dream and the world is opening back up. Yeah. Everyone's going on offense to get bums on seats and start cruising around. Uh, if people want to uh, check out your different channels or what can they do, where can they go? Uh, Danger and Stacey is, is, uh, is our go-to across YouTube and Instagram and you, you search that whether you spell it correctly the way, the way Danger should be spelled or the way that we uh, that we spell it with a D-A-N-E-G-E-R. I see what you did there. Lovely play on words. I, I see what you did so there. So incredible. <laughs> Except for everybody internationally that goes Daniger and we're like... A Daniger. Mm. Yeah, oh, Daniger. That's, a no, that's a hard no. Yeah, uh, but yeah, Danger and Stacey, and uh, yeah, you'll find us got about hundred videos on uh, on New Zealand alone on on YouTube at the moment from all sorts of corners of of this beautiful land. There you go, and in the local to global market where the eyes are on great places of escapism, New Zealand's right up there. So mm-hmm. appreciate you joining us, Dane, and. Uh Best luck for the next journeys. Thanks so much, man. Really appreciate it. Love your work. Uh, any feedback or ideas or questions, feel free to text me through at 3920 with the number to call us 0800 Today FM. It is 118 in Aotearoa, New Zealand. See you in a sec. Live from San Francisco. And streaming now on Facebook Live. It's Rebet Live with how to turn your passion into profit. On Today FM. And we are flowing into hour two. We're talking content, we're talking commerce, all sorts of cool stuff. Also, when we talk about commerce, we talk about startups. Startups and people starting businesses, and they are founders, and then founders need money. They gotta go to the VCs, and the VCs give them money, which is a venture venture capitalist. Uh, This last week out in Waikiki, a whole bunch of these private, big, smart brains that fund founders. I got together on Waiheke to talk about the future of that and uh, very uh, excited to be joined by Carl Jones from WNT Ventures. They are high conviction partners helping founders build global businesses by connecting them to resources, expertise and support. Uh, And he's joining us today. Carl, how are you, my friend? I'm very good, thanks, Robert. How are you? Hey, okay. All right, so let's just jump into it. How was the Illuminati VC meeting on Waiheke? What did you learn? What do you know? Where's the institutional money going? How are the funders feeling? And what are they feeling about the future of Series A investments coming out of New Zealand? Okay, go. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, we'll, we'll, let's, let's we'll wind it back. Where are you and how is your Saturday? Oh, my Saturday is pretty good. I'm, I'm based in Tauranga and uh, it's an, always a beautiful day. Uh, down here and uh, no difference today so there you go so for those that aren't aware of maybe what a vc does in a nutshell what would that how would you answer that question yeah so vc or venture capital fund um basically invests into really early stage um high growth startups so a little bit different from your normal sort of small uh small to medium enterprises otherwise known as SMEs. Um, you know, it's the stuff that are, you know, often backed by, um, you know, science or, or something really, you know, really fast growing. So if you think like um, Zero was a startup, you know, Rocket Lab, that, those sorts of things, mm. two quite different companies. But it's those really fast growing um, technology based companies. And for where you decide to spend your energy with the time of the type of businesses that you want to invest in, where's your yeah. sweet spot within the New Zealand uh, ecosystem? Yeah, so for us at WNC Ventures, we're, we're what's called a, um, a deep tech investor. So deep tech's just a different way of saying we invest into companies with uh, really strong science-backed or um, engineering. They're solving you know science or engineering problems. Um, and we invest, we're probably about as early as you can get. Um, we're typically the first and often the only uh, investor into these companies right at the beginning. So we're... Um, we're often helping them out, not just with the money, but we, we get really actively involved to help 
um, new founders and you know we're, we're often taking companies straight out of universities or crown research institutes and so you know we're, we're helping academics convert from sort of building this amazing technology they've been focused on through their PhD um, and to how do they turn that into a, a, a commercial reality and, mm. and, and kind of transform their thinking from the academia side to the commercial side, which can be pretty challenging. Well, well, that's the space we sort of uh, play in, yeah. Yeah, so when you're a startup founder in New Zealand, if, you know, you, if you've got an idea for a business and bits and pieces and you've never really messed with the, the venture capital, the VC sort of side of the world, what do you think is the number one thing that most startup founders don't either understand or they, you'd wish they would learn sooner about how the world actually works in terms of venture capital within New Zealand. What's a quick little tip you think that most people aren't thinking of? Yeah, look, I think, um, you know, you know, it's, yeah, it's quite a challenging question because there's so much to unpack in that. But I think I think one of the key things is, is, is as soon as possible, try and find your way into into the networks, into the yeah. industry. Um, there's nothing like, um, you know, going and talking to some other founders that maybe they're only sort of three, six, nine months ahead of you in their own journey. But if you can talk to people that have been through that journey before and, you know, the, the more founders, more under the entrepreneurs you can kind of meet and get to know and, and hear their stories, the more um, set up you're going to be when you actually start talking to the venture capital funds. And you've got to remember, the, the, the venture capital funds, they're all just people anyway, right? You know, there's just a massive human element to it. So, um, you know, uh, you know, don't be afraid to go and knock on their door early and, 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 and ask questions and just, yeah, just really connect yourself in. Um, I know it's really hard in smaller towns in New Zealand, but, um, you know, there's plenty of places to, to enter and, you know, there's, there's a ton of online content as well. So um, just get, get yourself connected as quickly as possible would be, um, would be what I'd say. So that, that's from the founder's side. Now, from your observation of the venture capital, the VC side of things, what's the biggest mistake you think that VCs are making around the show when it comes to the game in 2022? Biggest mistake VCs are making? Um, yeah, look... Um, so, yeah, that, that's a that's a hard question, Robert. Oh, mate, we we ask um, the hard questions here and be like we we, <laughs> we 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 go deep. No, but like an overarching yeah. thing, you know. Look, I think I, I think really not. Um, you know, not not. You know, so again, that human element of building companies gets forgotten sometimes. Forgotten sometimes, you know. Um, so what what VCs have to make sure they're doing is not placing. You know their, you know, desire for returns or profits um, over the the needs of the of the founders. You know, um, you know, we've we've seen all too often that you know this being a founder is really really hard, um, and it can be really isolating as well. Um, so you know, making sure that the founder well-being is actually really thought of and really looked after, I think it's just so critical. And I think it's, it, we're getting better at it, um, but it's not—we're not there yet. So I think you know, just making sure that people are you know healthy and they're being looked after and they're, you know they're taking breaks and that you know this this desperate need to drive and build companies so quickly doesn't turn into this just um, you know. Uh, unimaginable pressure that, yeah. that, that that makes kind of founders you know collapse way too early. You know, it's it's just it's just not sustainable. So I think that's probably the main area for me. 
Yeah. Um, but I make sure your founders are looked after. That's good. Um, so let's let's jump to the, the summit of the weekend, so uh, over, over the week. Mm-hmm. Um, give a quick, you know, you got to go check in there. You were in a, um, a room full of a bunch of the sort of, I guess, players in the New Zealand venture capital industry with founders that were there, institutional investors, a bunch of other, yeah. I'm guessing, competing VCs or co-opetition, if, if you think of it that way. What were some of the key mm-hmm. takeaways you took from, you know, a day with the leaders of New Zealand venture capital? Yeah, look, I mean, there's a, such a positive mood out there, uh, you know, for the, for the most part. And I, know, I know there's a lot of sort of talk about downturns and things like that coming up, but, you know, there's a, the, the, the VC industry particularly and, and the New Zealand startup industries, I think it's in a position it's never been in before. You know, we've I've been in the industry for, you know, about a dozen years now, and I've never seen this much money that's been poured into the space. Um, you know, last year there, there was something like two hundred and fifty million dollars going into startups. Um, you know, that's a that's a that's a fantastic number of um, of dollars going in, and you really kind of sense that as as well. So you know, you're getting new funds coming out, and that's fantastic. So there's lots of options out there for founders, um, and I think that mood was really showing through. You know, um, Blackbird Ventures, one of the um, you know Australian New Zealand fund, you know. They've, they've recently announced, you know, both the um, government-owned uh, New Zealand Growth Capital Partners have put money in, and then ACC has now put some money into their fund as well, and that's a really new sort of development to see more institutional funding going into these um, into this early stage market. And you know, there's only really one one reason, you know, institutions like that start putting money in because you can see the value of the you know, of the investment and, and the, the quality of the New Zealand companies that have been coming out. So that's fantastic to see. Um, there's some really good good discussions with some founders uh, there as well. You know, they had some had some founders up there on stage and sort of talking about well, what are they what do they sort of see as, you know, being the key things for them and they're sort of, you know, encouraging um, investors and founders alike to really celebrate the wins and, and actually reminding everyone that the founders want want success more than anyone else. So, you know, again, back to that kind of wellness thing, you know, um, investors putting extra pressure on, on the founders doesn't really help that much because they've already got so much pressure on themselves, mm. you know, from themselves anyway. So, um you know, being they're just really kind of being there and being part of the team, that sort of stuff. Um, we had a great session with uh, Stephen Tyndall. Um, you know, talking about his sort of journey from, you know, building the warehouse and 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 you know converting, um, you know, the the, the uh, you know the, the profits coming out of the warehouse foundation into both philanthropy and into startups. And you know, uh, without his support and and the New Zealand rich capital market, you know, I don't know where we'd be. Mm. But, you know, just a, a fantastic contribution to the company, uh, country. Um, they had a really, really great session on, on deep tech, which is, you know, the, the science and, and academic side of things. Um, that, you know, that's, that's had a, um, you know, most of the, something like 41% of the last year's um, funding is now going into deep tech. So, you know, and, and that, you know, again, that deep tech is sort of, you know, a rocket lab as opposed to a zero kind of thing. So there's a real big transition about that, and some really great conversations around. You know, what does that mean, and, and you know, how do we how do we support academic founders um, more and things like that. So I think you know, overall, just uh, you know, real positive mood, but also tempered by uh, an acknowledgement that there, there perhaps are some some tough times um, coming up ahead, and you know, how do we all sort of think about that and manage it. Yeah. 
Very cool. Probably a, so probably a reasonable summary of the day. No, no, it's it's, it's awesome. I mean, the, the way it's, you know, if institutional money is coming down to support the bottom, founders are getting more support, the momentum's shifting to positive, they've got 250 mil coming into the startup landscape, you know, Web3 is coming through, Deep Tech, all the rest of it, it's it's great. So I uh, really appreciate the, the heads up. Um, Carl Jones from WNT Ventures. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday, and thanks for doing all you do to help uh, Kiwi, you know, Kiwi companies win on the global stage. No problem. Anytime, and thank you too, Robert. Uh, have a great day. My man, there you go. Don't forget, you can three me, uh, text me on 3920. After the break, we're catching up with Chief Economist of the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, Mr Paul Conway. He's one month into it. What does he have to say about it? We'll be finding out right after this. His goal, to destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebette Live. Call 0800 Today FM. This is Rebette Live, episode 313. 135 in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I hope your Saturday is going good. Check out your local frequency suite, stayfm.co.nz, or take us with you on the go, Rover app. Uh, if you want to get in touch, text me, 3920. All right, it's time to talk money with the Chief Economist of the Reserve Bank of New Zealand. His name is Paul Conway. He is a weapon. Paul, it's always great to have a banter. What's been up since we spoke last weekend? Oh, kia ora, Oh, heaps have been up. I'm kind of settling in for a long weekend today, which is good. I feel like I need one after a month in the chief economist uh, chair at the Reserve Bank. So I'm loving a bit of a bit of home time uh, on a on a pretty wintry Wellington weekend. Well, mentally, you've been working hard for a month, Paul. You now get an extra day off. I'm sure you've, it's well deserved. Um, so work first month in chief economist, Reserve Bank of New Zealand. Basically, in a nutshell. What's been up? <laughs> how's how's yeah, month one well, done? Go. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a few big set pieces over the last couple of weeks. So we got this uh, thing called a, a remit review out the door uh, Wednesday this week, which is sort of where we're uh, asking the public about what they think of how the Reserve Bank does monetary policy. So um, it's all that's on our website. And if people want to make a submission on how they think the Reserve Bank should go about uh, doing monetary policy, then head to our website and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, and the week before that, we got uh, what we called the monetary policy statement uh, out the door. And I think I might have mentioned this is something that we do every three months. Uh, sort of our current read on where the economy's at and how it's likely to unfold. Um, so let's let, let, uh, talk about that, Rebet, if, you, if you're into it. Let's uh, talk about the economics because it's a pretty full-on time, uh, and I, you know, I really want to sort of be helpful uh, in, in with sort of helping Kiwis to see the wood from the trees uh, when it comes to the economy. And I'm, you know, a sort of resolutely focused New Zealand economist. And I want to get better at sort of communicating to um, to New Zealanders. So, so let me practice well, uh, you, on your listeners. Don't don't feel bad. You, it's good because so many people don't talk about it, and you're one of the only ones that are not dumbing it down, but making it simple and more relatable for more Kiwis to understand how all these complex parts of an entire co- economy come yeah. together to make this machine run. And so I think that's extremely important. So you don't need to, there is no apology needed, Paul. You're helping every Kiwis, just like we're helping all the Kiwis. So it's, it's great. So when you, when you zoom out, where's the economy at? Like how, how, are, we, how are we bubbling? Yeah. What's got, what do you feel is yeah. going on? Yeah, well, it's pretty, as I said, it's a pretty full-on time. Well, let, let's just rewind a couple of years. Uh, and, you know, over the last couple of years, we've been experiencing what economists call supply shocks, so shocks to the supply side of our economy. 
that have effectively sort of reduced our ability to produce goods and services. So if, if you cast your mind back to 2020, it was all about people locked down at home and unable to go to work. Uh, then I think we had a ship uh, trying to go sideways up the Panama Canal, which sort of exposed fragilities in global supply chains, which were sort of suffering from a lack of investment. Uh, and on top of that, we've had a war in Ukraine, which supplies a lot of food, a lot of sort of calories to the world. So all of those events are supply shocks. They've reduced our ability to supply goods and services. Uh, and on top of all that, you know, in the energy space, Russia's been weaning itself off, oh, sorry, Europe's been weaning itself off Russian gas. Uh, climate change is sort of putting a shutter through all those energy markets. So it's a very full on one thing after another has sort of been making it harder and more expensive uh, to produce goods and services. So that's kind of the backdrop, that whole series uh, of supply shocks. Well, in a local economy as well, you kind of have your, your, your kind of blinders on a little bit of just like, we just focus about New Zealand and we do our own thing. What's become really clear over the last couple of years through COVID is, why can't, where's the toilet paper? Where's the wood? What's this? And people are starting to talk about supply chain, supply chain yeah. and, and local impacts on global issues. So I think that's pretty interesting to see. So in your opinion, with this, obviously these things moving around globally, how do you feel it's all playing out here in Aotearoa? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, the, the global economy is very integrated these days. So what happens offshore, you know, we feel it. And these uh, international developments we're just talking about, you know, they're absolutely been washing up on our shores. Uh, and, you know, our border was closed for a big stretch of time, so workers were a bit harder to find uh, domestically because migration was down. So that's also a plus supply shock. Uh, you know, a shortage of workers makes it harder for us to produce stuff domestically. Uh, and, and on the demand side of the New Zealand economy, uh, over the last couple of years, you know, the government really sort of threw the kitchen sink uh, at COVID, you know, it was a real emergency uh, back in 2020. They all, you know, government went all out to sort of prevent uh, a recession or even a depression. Uh, you know, the Reserve Bank sort of uh, got in on the act and cut interest rates to emergency levels. Uh, and also, Rebecca, we got rid of the bug. So life, you know, kind of sort of went back to normal for over a year there uh, when most of the developed world, at least, was, you know, full on grappling with the disease. Um, so all of that worked, you know, and we totally dodged some bullets uh, over that period. I kind of, I remember at the time talking, you know, we were sort of like Neo uh, in the Matrix when he's sort of bending all over the place <laughs> with many bullets flying past and, you know, missing, which was, which was great. So New Zealanders, Neo, duly noted. Um, but <laughs> one of your point there, you're talking about, you know, the weak supply, strong demand, you know, what does that for, what does that equal? Yeah, well, sort of Econ 101 stuff. So the supply side of our economy has taken a hit. Uh, the demand side has held up pretty well. So, you know, that equals inflation. Uh, so globally and here in Aotearoa, inflation has been rearing its ugly head. And we really don't like inflation. It's sort of like a pay cut and a tax on savings all rolled into one. Now, it's important to say, you know, inflation, it sort of started out as price increases in things that have been ground zero uh, for the pandemic and for the war. So energy prices have increased, uh, food prices have gone up, building materials, you know, with supply chain issues have gone up. 
Uh, and there's nothing that we can do about that as the Reserve Bank. You know, unfortunately, we don't have the power to stop wars or eradicate viruses. Um, so we tend to look through uh, or ignore those kind of first round inflationary impacts. Um, but we're getting to the point now where, you know, people are kind of expecting higher inflation in future. They're kind of going, oh, well, inflation prices have been going up. That's probably going to keep on going. Um, so there's a risk in that 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 becomes sort of self-perpetuating, that inflation wage sort of spiral. Uh, and that's, you know, very destabilising. So the Reserve Bank a couple of weeks ago, you know, we increased interest rates to sort of slow demand in the economy and push back uh, against that increase in inflation expectations to sort of get more balance uh, between demand in the economy and our ability to produce uh, goods and services. So just by chilling all of that out, uh, and bringing back a bit more balance, uh, that's how we eradicate inflation, and, and that's what we've been doing. So you basically you've gone from Neo to now we're talking Star Wars, you're trying to bring balance back to the force, I get it, but, you know, will that work? You know, it's obviously going to be a bit tough on people, people are trying to, you know, fight their way through this thing, like how does this play out, it's getting more expensive, like with interest rates going up, like will that work? Yeah. Well, yeah, this is definitely a challenge. You know, pe people are experiencing uh, price increases and now interest rates are going up as well. Um, normally, we get inflation because the demand side of our economy sort of gets a bit of ahead of where it needs to be. So normally, you know, we've been partying a bit and demand or spending has been getting a bit ahead of itself and pushing prices up and we, you know, sort of raise interest rates to push back on that. Um, but the last couple of years, they definitely haven't been a party um, because it's a it's a supply shock. It's a cut to supply that we're responding to, not a sort of surge in demand. Um, so, you know, there's nothing good that comes out of a war uh, and out of a pandemic. Um, so, yeah, but, but the, the kind of if, if we weren't responding, uh, it's pretty clear if we did just let inflation sort of get into that spiral and just feed into expectations. Uh, we would end up in a in a worse place. So better off that we try and nip it in the bud mm. uh, at this point rather than let it sort of run its course. You know, for every cause there's another consequence. So where to from here? You reckon yeah. you raise up a bit, trying to, you know, you've talked about this the sort of the soft landing thing. So where to from here? Yeah, yeah. well, that, that's exactly it. You know, our forecast is that we get inflation back in the box uh, and that we do that well avoiding a recession or a downturn in the economy. So that, that's the soft landing that we were talking about last week. Uh, and I should, you know, full disclosure, like soft landings are extremely difficult to pull off. Normally, you know, a disinflation or lowering inflation, uh, you know, you need to sort of have the economy sort of slow down and growth go negative for a bit. Um, but, you know, we think that we're sort of well-placed. To, to engineer a soft landing. Uh, you know, the labour market is very strong. People have got jobs, unemployment's incredibly low. Um, prices for our exports are still, you know, really hanging in uh, right up there, which is which is great for the rural sector, and that's spilling over into the broader economy. Uh, also, people saved a bit uh, over lockdowns, so, you know, there's sort of a buffer there in terms of household balance sheets. 
Um, so, yeah, when you add that up, yes, we've got a, a, a serious challenge in front of us, but there's also plenty of reasons to think that we can pull it off, that we can get inflation back down to where, where it belongs, which is around 2%, uh, you know, without doing uh, damage, without needing to have a contraction or a slowdown in, or a recession, I should say, in our economy. And, you know, of course, the Reserve Bank, we are watching, um, waiting and worrying and if things do turn ugly, you know, we revise our forecasts and, uh, you know, we, we sort of can see something coming uh, and we get to adjust our interest rate tracks uh, every six weeks. So, you know, it's a, it's a repeat game. We, we we will be back just to add a bit of Terminator into the into the movie I'll, we're I'll talking like, about. Yep, and you also, also we had the Top Gun reference with the, the soft landing. Under that too, we've, we've gone all around the, the spectrum with the movies today. Really appreciate it. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, Paul. Always good to get your insights and um, really just simplifying such complex things so a lot more Kiwis can really understand what's going with their dollars, with what goes out the door, and how to make New Zealand a better place. Legend. Pleasure. Nice chatting. Thanks. Always solid chatting to the legend, the man, Paul Conway. Uh, coming up after the break, it's Banter with Bruce, his CEO of Spirit of Adventure. And each week he gives us a nugget for us to think about to make our lives just a little bit better, think a little bit differently, and moving on in a positive direction. Stay with us on Today FM. Mentor. Sherpa. Counselor. Nah, just a clever guy doing cool shit. It's Rebet Live. On Today FM. Here we go. Almost wrapping up the end of hour number two here on Rebet Live, episode 313 on Today FM. Welcome back. Hope the Saturday is charging, and each week we chat to Mr. Bruce Pilborough. He is the spirit, uh, CEO of Spirit of Adventure, and he joins me to discuss things that's bubbling away, give us some nuggets and helps the, the young one Kenobi get smarter, get better, do well. How are you, my friend? Kia ora, bro. How are you doing? Hey, okay. I heard you're on a boat in a storm. Like this week, how'd that go? Uh, what God, <laughs> news? News travels fast, doesn't it? Oh yeah, we. Um, I think I told you last week that we um, we had to take the ship up to refit, the Spirit of Adventure up to refit, Spirit of New Zealand up to refit, and uh, that's in Whangarei. So I thought, well, what better uh, thing to do is take a bunch of business leaders uh, for a bit of a sail. Um, so that's what we did, and we had about tw- oh, about eighteen, which went with us, which was fantastic. From all people from startups, you know, people people from NanoGirl and from Zero and and uh, some sort of bigger leaders as well uh, from other businesses. And um, yeah, it was a bit of a storm on Sunday night, so we had sort of you know twenty to thirty knots and sort of two two meter swell, and so. Um, it was, it was uh, pretty exciting, to be fair. Uh, but, but it gave me some insights, that's for sure. There you go. So let's get into the insights. You're stuck on a boat with some of New Zealand's top leaders for during a storm. Uh, anything you'd like to share with the team? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because as I was just sort of contemplating this week is that um, as CEOs, we like to be in control, right? And um, we like to know what's coming ahead and we like to plan and think ahead and... And I, I guess just look like we're the guy or the person, sorry, that um, has it all together. On this ship, no one was in control but the master or the captain. And so everyone had to let go and trust and and um, uh, put their faith, I guess, and trust in the person who was leading the project or, or the situation. And I realised afterwards how difficult that is for us as leaders to mm. sometimes just let go and trust those around us. So, you know, trust those who are above us, who are on the same level as us, but more importantly, trusting those that are below us as well. You know, how much do we micromanage? How much do we interfere? How much do we, what sort of things do we do to put ourselves at comfort? Because ultimately we want control. And, um, and a few of them didn't have control and they, 
some of them controlled their stomachs. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> But it was interesting because, you know, they'd ask you questions like, are we okay? Is this going to be fine? And I go, yes, because the crew know what they're doing. They're comfortable. If they're comfortable, you just have to let go and trust them. Mm. It was an interesting exercise. Very interesting exercise. So on that for a second, most, you know, I've been in a couple of situations where there's way too many alphas in the room and it's pretty predictable to see how things will play out. How do you think leaders who have an ego or confidence or alpha can best navigate other situations where they may not know the best, but they need to be able to put their trust in others because sometimes a lot of people and leaders, they don't want to give up the reins to other people. They don't want to trust the staff. They don't want to, you know, is it, any insights there? Yeah. Well, I actually think you raise a really good point. I think if you're, in a room, if you're in a room where everyone kind of knows what's going on, then the alpha in us starts to try and pivot for the best position, right? So we, all, we almost take each other out, you know, and we, we see that when we ask each other what our titles are, what our roles are. We, we have to put ourselves into a, a list or a category or a position of power. But if you put in a situation where you don't know what's, you don't understand it, so for example, none of them had sailed a tall ship before, not many of them were seagoing people, then they had no choice but to put their faith in other systems or other people. And I guess the challenge to me as a leader is kind of going, actually, how much does my own ego get in the way we're actually, I just need to shut up for once and just sit back and just watch what's going on and learn from others and not be too worried about the titles or the, the hierarchy in the, in the, in the room. Um, and it's not easy to do, uh, Rebecca, you know? Mm. So a tip or advice or anything for if you're a leader and you, you fight your ego as a leader when you're in these situations, um, you know, maybe you always, regardless what the rumours end, even if you don't know what's up, but on paper you're the one with the position and you try and flex it out a bit. Any advice for leaders who want to try and fight their own ego to navigate business yeah. more successfully, maybe? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think to me, I'll just do it from my personal um, perspective. What I'm trying to do is listen more and just let the room be the be the wise Obi Wan Kenobi who might have the two or three words at the end of the meeting rather than the one that feels that they need to run the meeting or dictate the meeting. Um, and I think as leader, leaders, we're quite keen because of our own agendas or because we want to get things through quickly to jump in and jump in and jump in. Maybe we just need to sit back, listen, read the room, and then when, it, when we're asked, then maybe step in and, and give some advice or wisdom if it's needed. But more often than not, my team surprised me and do a better job than me anyway. Well, that's, when you, that's usually when you empower the team to do it and they feel like they can have step in the mix instead of, you know... Yeah. necessarily the one with the title uh, knowing more and you know in the early content game there's totally always bro. younger people that yeah. know what's up there's different things I want to test and try but um, what an interesting dynamic of, of you know being in a room totally. of I guess alphas and then seeing how nature takes a course literally <laughs> as yeah. they can't control something and all of a sudden they don't and, have power they can't anything. control it yeah. yeah they can't control it mate and they can't micromanage it they right. just had to sit in the discomfort and allow someone else to run it and it was successful, and it was great. And I think a lot of them reflected on that the next couple of days. I certainly did. Um, and the next day was fun. It was beautiful, and there was dolphins, and there was skies, and we were sailing and swinging and jumping off the ship and all that sort of stuff. But that one particular night, I think, challenged a few people to think about their own leadership style. And that's what the spirit's all about. Mm. It's about putting you in discomfort and making you review your life and how you live your life. And that's what I loved about that day. It was fantastic. It was a lot of fun. In- interestingly, some of those leaders who may have challenged themselves, I don't know if they... If they're fighting the ego, may not have shared some of those learnings with others, but just deep inside, they actually know. Hey, sometimes I maybe just need to sit back, shut up. Well, I watched. The, the I, 
I, I gave them all a diary, and I watched a few of them furiously writing it the next day. So that's usually a good sign, isn't it? There you go. That is, <laughs> that is a good sign. Uh, I appreciate your time, as always, my friend. Enjoy the rest of the week. High cool. fives and hugs, and uh, thanks for joining us again. You're the man. Okay, bud. Take care. Bye. Charging. All right, almost coming up to the end of the hour. Time now is one fifty-five. This is Today FM. Mentor. Sherpa. Counselor. Nah, just a clever guy doing cool shit. It's Rebet Live. On Today FM. Here we have it. Coming up to the end of hour number two. Rebet Live, it's one fifty-eight. And Aotearoa, New Zealand. Time to look back on what we learned this week for episode 313. Three things. Number one, straight off the back of Bruce Prilborough, the CEO of Spirit of Adventure. Fight the ego and trust the team. Number two from Jenny Wiley, the CEO of Netball New Zealand with your team. What's the shared vision? Do you have unified language? And are you on the same waka? Super cool. Number three from Sarah Kelsey from the One Up Project. How do you shift from a headspace of judgment to a headspace of curiosity? From defence to offence. Three things we learnt this week. It's been great to be back on New Zealand soil. Thanks so much for listening. Big ups to the big dog, Bryn on the mix, making things happen, which has been great. I hope your day goes well with wherever you're up to. Coming up next, Mark Sport. Mark Paired Sport is coming up. He's going to be talking about all things awesome and all things sport, because I love sport. See you next week, team. Be awesome, be good, do good, do great. Adios. Peace.